Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to Building a Black Educator Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Shayna Terrell, educator activist dedicated to the lifelong struggle of freedom and liberation for my people. What is up to all my co-conspirators out there? Thank you for coming back to listen to yet another episode of Building a Black Educator Pipeline. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. And shout out to all the new supporters out there who have liked and subscribed and are joining us this week. Listen, y'all, we are up on all platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon. So please follow, subscribe, listen, and remember to make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend and make sure you tell them again to subscribe and like to this podcast. And as always, shout out to Brightbeam and the Center for Black Educated Development for providing us with this platform to talk to real people in a real struggle doing the real work. So the theme of today's episode is matriarchs and building a black educated pipeline. There is nothing, y'all, like a mother's love. So today we get to connect with an amazing freedom fighter, an amazing mama in the movement for Black liberation. So when you think and you hear about social justice, civil rights, Black power movements, a lot of people's minds and brains immediately go to like protests, boycotts. But there's another side to that coin that we just don't give enough attention to, and that is Black mothers in the movement. The people who have organized the communities to sustain the change that we want to receive and need to happen in the world. So we are excited today to welcome Mama Maisha Sullivan Ungoza, okay? One of my mamas out here in the movement, somebody who trained and sustained me when I got to Philadelphia. So Mama Maisha, welcome, welcome. Well, oh, thank you for the welcome, Shayla. I'm so proud of you, and I'm, I enjoy watching the podcast. You know, I catch up with everyone when it's when it's Gray Carr on there. But you've been doing you've been doing great, great work. I've been really appreciated you and Sharifa. I'm just so proud of both of you. Thank you, Mama. We appreciate you. And again, you know, we train our replacements. So that's right. I have learned learned so much from you, from being in your presence, from watching you, and you have poured so much into me. So, Mama, I want to say thank you. Well, Asante to you for being so open for whatever I'm pouring. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, Mama, I want to start off. Can you share a little bit about yourself with our guests? Just talk about some of your current and your your past work. Let the folks know who Mama Maisha is. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm... uh, I'm a 74-year-old. I'm 74 now. I'll be 75 pretty soon. Hey. Uh, 74-year-old survivor and developer. I'm a survivor of the COINTEL. I'm a COINTEL survivor uh, from the 60s. I became active during the uh, Black Power era of the Black Freedom Movement um, from my last years of high school up until, you know, through college and young adulthood. Uh, from Originally from Philadelphia, from South Philadelphia, uh, come from a very um, community-centered family, a strange, strange uh, my mother died when I was two, and my father still kept us together. He was like Mr. Mom before it was popular, but all the women in the neighborhood helped him. So I had all these communal mothers uh, awesome. to, to help this man uh, raise these children because, you know, relatives wanted to split us up and take us everywhere mm. after our moms died. He lost two, two, he lost two wives before I was 15. Oh, wow. And both times uh, he kept the kids. He wouldn't let the relatives take and split us up. He said he's not letting his family be split because he was up. from the South and he mm-hmm. knew about families being split up because of enslavement and all that. Right. And he wasn't going to have it with us. So I he, you know, he, he he decided he was going to keep us together, but he knew there was a community would help him. So we had all these community moms 
who helped him. And he was the community dad for all the fatherless boys. So it was, you know, reciprocal. So I had all these women looking out for me. They would tell them when I was time for me to wear a bra. They would tell them, when, you know, <laughs> my older sisters, you know, they were like sister moms. But they, you know, they would, you know, tell them I, you know, I was getting to be too. Because I would go to work with him. He was like a contractor. Mm-hmm. And so I was raised kind of non-traditional. I go to work with him. I handle tools. This is why I can do carpentry. And, you know, I'm so yep. good with um my hands because my dad would take me to work with him and, and um, uh, just learned how to just to build things and reconstruct things and, and, and do things. So I came up very non-traditional in South Philly, being, uh, being really a village child, being raised by all of them. And our house was also the uh, gathering point for the community. My father cooked every Sunday, mm. fish and grits. And everybody come there and get their fish and grits. And then during the week, he keep a pot of coffee on the stove. People come in, just get a, a strong cup of coffee. They coffee. said they couldn't move their bowels unless they drank my daddy's coffee. <laughs> ah, so, yes. so, so, he, so we had this kind of energy that I had around me all my life. So people wonder why I'm like always out there engaged. That's all I ever knew. Mm. I've, I've never not been engaged with a lot of people and not uh, assisting people or having people assist me. It's just been my all of my life. And um, he was a World War II veteran. So him and his peers, I would hear the politics talk about the Second World War and the Korean War mm-hmm. when they were eating fish and grits or drinking coffee. And, and he would have me sit around and listen. And he made me move, read the paper every day. I couldn't read the funnies. I had to read the, <laughs> the news, news. <laughs> so that I can participate in grown folks' conversation and no current events mm-hmm. and know what's going on. He he, he, he made sure that we stayed up on what was happening. And then I had to read to the elders, the newspaper, to the elders on the block, who I didn't know at the time were illiterate. Mm. But my job was to read to one that lived right next to us, to take the paper and read to him every day. I didn't know he was illiterate until one time, and he wouldn't let me know he was illiterate. He would pretend he was teaching me how to read. What does that say? I bet you don't know what this say. You know, this Mm, kind of stuff. But my job was to read the paper to the the elders on the block and have conversations with them about current events. And this was my father's way of making sure the elders were kept up to date, kept current. You know, so it was that that kind of way I was raised. And um, it impacted me and making me into the activist that I became. Because you you will hear so much about issues going on, but you also hear how we were our first responders, right? Mm -hmm. And that what resources were already in our community or what needed to be in our community. Because it all came through, like filtered through my house. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of like pushed me into activism early. And between that and all these moms in the neighborhood, one in particular... uh, Mamie Nichols lived two blocks from me. A lot of people know Miss Mamie. Gosh, she got a lot of stuff named after her in South Philly. And she was a major force in terms of uh, making me focus my energy. She saw a potential in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she made sure I got a chance to go to college. She made sure I had summer jobs. Uh, she put me in a Saturday program because she thought I was too rough. And she put me in a program <laughs> that taught me how to put lipstick on and uh <laughs> But Miss Mamie was always there. She was like the mom kind of person, the solid mom for me. And um, up until the day she passed, just, I always remind she was an educator and a social worker also, but a community builder. So she was had been my role model early on on what women have to do to not just build community, but sustain communities, keep it going. And um, 
always know that there's resources out. Miss Mamie could find anything for anybody. You go to her, she could find, she would never tell you no. Her favorite word was, I'll get back to you. Because mm, I'm going to find and a way. She's going to find a way, you know. I'm and my father's word was always, let me ponder on that. So these two people always knew that somewhere out there they could find something you needed. They just had this faith that they, they were going to locate it and find it for whatever it was you needed or could help. So I'm, I'm kind of like that. I don't accept no's. I don't accept no, you know. Listen, we got to find another way. We got to find a third find way. Find another way. You know, but find I another love way. about what you just told us, right? Like you, you, you claim it is non-traditional, but I mean, talk about breaking every stereotype and every narrative, meaning you were raised by a, a man, number one. Yes. Um, you had a black father, a stable black father. So this whole mm-hmm. narrative about fathers out here and fathers not being able to take care, don't want to take care of their kids. Um, you was breaking down barriers. Your dad was yeah, yeah. <laughs> back he, he, then. He, he did hair. He he did hair. He cooked. He cooked. He, <laughs> he, he cooked. He's a great cook. I tell you, he cooked fish and grits, but he cooked for us every day till we got old enough that we could step up and, you know, help out more. Help him out. But yeah. he still he still would do the major cooking for us. And uh, he did hair. If my sisters ain't want to do my hair and yeah. I want a certain style, like a bang or something, he'd get me at that stove and curl me some bangs. And <laughs> I love this. <laughs> you know? That kind of stuff. So I was, I was raised very non-traditional with a, a, always had a strong father figure. He was not an absentee father. Uh, He ain't hang out. He stayed out. The latest he stayed out was like 10 o'clock on a a Mm -hmm. weekend and always came back home. home to his kids. Yeah. So he, he never, he never brought a lot of women around us, even though we found out later on he had a lot of girlfriends. (laughs) But he made y'all a priority. That's Um, it. And he, he was very priority. he was very handsome, and everybody knew he was a good dad. And so, so a lot of the women was after him. Oh, that's attractive. We did, but he kept him away from us. He <laughs> kept him. He kept him away from us. Yeah. Listen, I love that because again, even as a man, he showed you an example for like mm-hmm. what he would want you to be. You know, as a woman, but even the community yeah. uh, approach to how yes. the support that you guys had um, in raising raising you and and your your siblings. I think that's well, and, and it, you know they would tell us like we'd be outside playing they said aren't you supposed to be mopping the floor today like he told them what we supposed to do to and then the moms in the neighborhood <laughs> would say isn't this a day you supposed to be doing the laundry going to the laundry mat so even though he going and at work they knew on the block what we were supposed, to be, supposed to be doing yeah yeah you know so so the daughter's that. eyes and ears was on us all the time they could tell us you know different things that we were supposed to be doing and you know one of the worst things we came up with was to bring shame on your family mm-hmm. that was like a no-no especially my father because uh, we knew how much he sacrificed he could have just went out there and been a free male and start his life over after he lost these two wives he could just gave his kids away and just started over and mm-hmm. did his thing so he sacrificed a lot, you know, a, a lot to keep us together and uh, and never complained about it. We never, ever heard him say, I'm sorry I kept y'all. I'm sorry I this. I'm going to call your aunts. You know, the ones who mm-hmm. wanted us. I'm going to get your godmom to come get you. Never, ever heard that from him, you know. Okay. And um, so I'm, I'm all, always grateful for that. So people hear me. I'm a big defender of black males, you know. Yes. You can't it, do no black male bashing on, on, on my <laughs> Around we, see, me. we see why and we yeah. see why grateful yeah. for that experience you've got the wrong one if you want to do some blackmail bashing it is no mm-mm. not on my mama time it. 
So, Mama, yeah. one of the amazing things, of course, that I got to experience from you was um, you as an educator um, and a, a community educator in, in a lot of ways. But, I mean, you went beyond that. You uh, taught at uh, collegiate places. Um, you've experienced teaching in K-12 settings and all of that. Can you talk to us about your journey in being an educator? What inspired you to be an, an educator? Well, it's, it's funny because when I first was coming out of high school, education wasn't an interest of mine. It was it was starting to be the beginning of technology, what mm-hmm. we call the computers and things. Mm-hmm. But it was electric typewriters. They was just coming out and uh, IBM was like breaking through. So I really thought I was going to go into that. It was either that or medicine. So my first track was to try and do some things in, in medicine. But the activism got in the way. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm still trying to go to school. And I'm in this medical track, and I'm also I'm, I'm an activist. I'm in the Black Power Movement, so mm-hmm. I'm at demonstrations, I'm volunteering at the Panther Clinic, Health Clinic mm-hmm. that was on uh, in North Philly, and I got called into the dean's office, and they're talking to me about volunteering at the Panthers office, saying that I'm taking materials from the medical programs and giving <laughs> it to the Panthers. Now, how they knew I was volunteering at the Panther Party, let you know how we were being followed and stuff yes, like that. Seville, so this yep. happened early. Then I realized then that, you know, the, the, I said I, I wasn't bringing any, maybe some Band-Aids or something. I wasn't like bringing no major stuff to the, the, the Panthers clinic. I had never joined the Panther Party, but I was very supportive of them uh, in different ways. So that let me know then that these people will and told me they were going, you know, they were going to uh, I had a scholarship for school then. And they were going to ret- retract my scholarship if I didn't stop volunteering at the um, at the Panther Clinic. You know, so mm. I was young then and radical. And, I, you know, otherwise I just told them to kiss my behind and I walked out the <laughs> class out, out the building, you know, to my father and Miss Mamie's. Uh, they were upset about it. But the fact that they were going to try and intimidate me and mm-hmm. all that. So Miss Mamie said, well, you shouldn't have left until you knew you had someplace else to go. Then you could have told them to kiss you behind. You know, so she was telling me she was glad I did it. But I need to always make sure I got a fallback or let her know what's coming plan. so she could have did some intervention. So she like kind of helped me. But I was just like, you know, very reactionary about it but you know so she said you know she said you don't never take a move unless you know you can handle the consequences and and you got some fallback you know so Mm -hmm. this was one of my first lesson about being an activist you know and not being reactionary and and that kind of stuff and some of that sacrifice that comes with it too the sacrifice that comes so that was that was that's how I got out of the medical profession. So then I'm now I'm immersed in movement. I'm just like, you know, got some little jobs and got a little civil service job. And my father, Miss Mamie, sticking on me, you need to get back in school. But by then I'm in, immersed in the in the Black Power movement. And we had all the demonstrations. I go down to Newark to help with the election of the first black mayor. You know, I'm at demonstrations with my older sister or watching her children so she can go to demonstrations. But she was involved with the civil rights stuff. So I'm just like that. That's where I'm at for quite a few years. And I finally joined an organization and I'm at the first student demonstration at the for black studies at the Mm -hmm. school district Mm -hmm. to bring black history because my younger sister was still in high school and I didn't pulled her into activism. Okay. 
So that and Miss Mamie is organizing these young students because she used to work at the school. Miss Mamie did, so she's organizing the students to participate at the school district, and she's telling me and my dad that your your sister, your, your younger sister, is going to be there. And y'all, and my father said, "Well, you done pulled her into this activism. You better be there to protect her and make sure she's she's okay." So that's how I got at the school district. I'm at these meetings, make sure my sister's okay, so my father won't be really mad at me. And Miss Mamie's pulling me. In. So I'm wind up at this district, at the school district, this demonstration where over 2,000 students uh, show up. And I'm like hiding and protecting her when the police get sicked on us. And I'm mm. like o- over top of her, like mama here. I said, boy, she come home, beat up my father. It's, it's going to be over. You. Mm. Right? So, you know, we covering up, we hiding. A couple of brothers put us in the corner and, and protected us. You know, so a lot of the students got beat real bad. Some mm. of the adults did. And, um, so that was my really first that that did it for me. When I saw they how they beat those young children like that, I was mm-hmm. like, we got to do something about it. And and I asked Miss Mamie, which organization should I join? I said, I can't do civil rights. I said, I'm sorry, Miss Mamie. I'm just not. That's not my temperament. I can't turn the other cheek. I, mm-hmm. I thought they were beautiful and strong, but I knew that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. I could not not fight back. I could not, you know. See, I don't. I don't come with that level of patience. Going I, on don't, that. I don't come. I don't have that kind of ascension, you know. So yeah. I said. So she said, "Well, you know, there's other groups out there, and everything." And the Panthers was, you know, emerging and stuff around then too. And I, 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 I like the Panthers, but I wanted something that was more focused around. I was starting to get an interest in education because Miss Mamie thought I would be a good teacher because she saw how I interacted with children and everything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But I joined an org- organization called Urban Survival Training Institute, uh, and it was a, a cultural nationalist organization. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband was a member, and he was a part of the school demonstration, too, at the school board. He was an organizer at Gratz High School. He was, the, okay. the Gratz, he was one of the Gratz High School organizers for that demonstration. Uh, and that's where we met. We met at the meetings, the organizing for things. Listen, um, the love that comes out of struggle, right? That's right. You meet on the, you, you meet on the battlefront. That you know, you meet somebody on the battlefront. It's a bonding that takes it place. It, it really does. The protection, so, the love, yeah, the camaraderie in that. That's it. It's better to meet them on the battlefront than a bar stool. I that's know that's what we right. Say. Listen, I'll take that. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, you know why they on the battlefront. You don't know why yes. they might stuck be stuck on that bar stool. Stool, that's so, right. So we you know we become activists and we're involved with all the activist issues. You know, going to help with the elective of first black officials, providing protection in the black community. My husband mm-hmm. took some really bad beatdowns from the police from um, uh, really bad beatdowns. Sometimes he couldn't walk for weeks afterwards. Um, mm. You know, I, when when the police was really suppressing the uh, black radicals and everything, I was pregnant, big and pregnant. They threatened to kick the baby out of my stomach. Oh, Lord. Oh. You know, so we went, this is a kind of terror. That's why I said I'm a survivor of the, that kind of, that era. Yes. And, uh, and we just stayed strong, you know, and, and we're going through all this, but we're also building institutions. We got organizations and we having events. We starting our own free schools then. Uh, yes. We are joint. We forming these little small little enclaves, or forming larger formations together. Like our organization was Urban Survival Training Institute, but we became one of the founding members of the Congress of African People, which was a national 
uh, group. That's how I met Kamara through the Congress of African People. Because the Kazan, yeah, because the Kazanis who started Nithamusasa were in the Congress of African People also. Uh-huh. So it was like this umbrella group that everybody was under, right? The cultural nationalist was under, and uh, okay. so I was a, I became a part of that. And this is where the schools were popping up in the city: Nithamusasa, African Insti- African Cultural Institute, Marcus Garvey Shule. Uh, quite a few. We had quite a few independent black schools in Philadelphia I that came that. from under that. Um, that uh, and, and so I taught in the school when I wasn't teaching. I was a board member of the school to sustain, particularly Marcus Garvey and the Institute of African Learning. Uh, and you know we partnered with like uh, Nithamusas and the other independent schools that were in this in the city. Everybody you know share resources and. And uh, work together because that's what we're trying that's to do. We're, we're to different do. sections of the city. Blue but I went back to school to be an educator movie. because we start in these independent schools. Mm. And I know I'm a natural teacher, but I knew I needed to learn ped- pedagogy. Pedagogy, some formal training there. Yeah, we needed to learn pedagogy and how to, and you know, to make sure that uh, our culture that is culturally relevant. So I went back. I went back to community college first. Miss Mamie said, "When we get you back in, make sure you solid." She got me in uh, community college. I graduated from community college, then went to Temple you know, to finish up for my BA and, you know, then went on, got my master's in education. And I'm doing education. I'm teaching adults uh, literacy, GED, and I'm running programs at Temple, the community education program, and mm-hmm. I'm teaching and I'm getting this reputation for being a great teacher of adults and also doing social justice work with them. That I got offered a scholarship to University of Penn to go to their school of social work to get my master's in social work. That's awesome. So I got a full ride scholarship to get a master's in social work because of the type of education I was doing. Because I had adult students and homeless people were in front of me. And, mm. you know, I'm teaching GED or I'm teaching ABE, adult basic ed. So yes. these people come with real life issues, you know, and I can't mm-hmm. teach them C, C spot run. I'm teaching them. I'm teaching them how to read what the current welfare policy is. Because it got to be translate to life. It's got to translate to life. So the words start. You know, I had one student. He worked at the um, casinos, was just open in Atlantic City, and he was a a janitor cleaning. And he kept coming to, and coming to class, and he had chemical burns on his hands, and he had a bad one on his face because he can't read. He can't read what not to mix together. He just mixing stuff to probably ammonia, whatever those chemicals, you know, they use. Mm-hmm. So I had him bring the labels in to class. And mm-hmm. I'm teaching him how to read. And you know them chemical words, it's all phonetic. You know, long syllables, multi-syllabic. Yes. You know, so, so it's the best way to teach phonics is to give him a whole bunch of these <laughs> words that you can sound, that you out. sound out. But enough that he would know which ones can't mix together, you know. And I'm reading yes. up on chemicals and things like that, what works. So I'm working with these adults that got these real world issues. Sisters that are homeless or they abuse, they come to class with everything in the a plastic bag mm. and I'm finding a place to go or my husband's helping them out. We, we like an informal uh, social service agency. Yes, I was going to say, listen, support You know, why, why are we supposed to be teaching? And, and so, Miss, I, I know I got that scholarship again because of Mamie Nichols. I refuse to believe how else they would have knew about the work I was doing because I would always call her sometime if I needed, where can I send this student or where is, I got a student got this issue. I always call Miss Mamie and I think Miss Mamie knew about that scholarship and Mm -hmm. she's the one that recommended me for it, for me to go to grad school at UPenn. 
listen the blessing of of Miss yeah. Mamie Nichols like that is that's beautiful yeah. that again you yeah. had her um as an angel in your life so one yes. of the things though mama that you mentioned that I really want to um highlight is um your involvement in the black independent school uh movement um that was strong in Philadelphia um you hear about a lot of black independent schools but when you talk about when that started and what was going on in Philly I hear so much rich rich history about it can you tell us why that work was so important at that time for black folks to start to build their own well it still is <laughs> yes it is it, it hasn't changed it's even it's just as important now um you know we were coming into our consciousness then in terms of black black power and being proud to be black and we knew these people weren't going to teach us and during those times we would have school strikes that would last for months mm. and so you know we're like what are we going to do when the kid the children are out of school the school will just shut down real long strikes uh, months. The strikes would last a long time. And a couple of schools, the, the black teachers union, because I was teaching in, started strike schools so the children could still come be getting content while we were striking. And they would be in churches in the neighborhood. So we knew the importance that our children can't be missing all this time. All this time. While the teachers are trying, you know, get a better salary and stuff. What's going on with the children? So, you know, so in the black community, we always knew that we had to be the ones that make sure the children were educated, right? From our ancestors, you know, out of enslavement, three things they did. They looked for their family. They -hmm. built institutions, they built schools, they built hospitals, right? And they built churches. Yep. Soon as they came from enslavement, that was what they did. Families try to find their families that was dispersed all yep. over the place and build institutions. And it was schools, churches, and hospitals. Mm-hmm. And so we always been institution builders. We knew that's how you stabilize your community. That's how you learn to sustain yourself, right? And develop, yep. not just survive, but to develop. develop. So we carry that. In the 60s, we, we, we went back to that. We went back to that. We, everybody was saying, you know, for higher education. We said, no, we got to get these children earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of the programs like the Head Starts and all these programs started in black communities. communities. You know, saying that these children need a little help because parents are working three and four jobs. The parents mm-hmm. don't have the time to, to be putting in. And a lot of the parents didn't have the education themselves. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these churches had little Bible schools and little after school programs. And it was always a lot geared towards the children. And it was a very, that community was very child centered. And so we said we we wanted it. We we knew that we didn't get a good education. We knew we got a very racist education. And indeed, we wanted these children to challenge the system. That we was going to make sure that we had to educate them to know what was what they're they're what they were responsible for changing the system. So we started these schools, and I think the first was John Churchville School, mm. Freedom Day. Yes. Freedom Day up on uh, Ridge Avenue. We talk a lot about Freedom so, Day. So that was the first one. And I remember we were going there to check it out. You know, we was like very impressed with Churchill School. and uh, But Churchill wasn't a nationalist like us, you know, because, you know, mm-hmm. we so cocky then. You know, we blackity black, you know. We're <laughs> <laughs> blacker than Churchill's, you know. That kind you know what I mean? Churchill okay. School. You know, so, uh, but, you know, he was just doing such great work. That school just really impressed us that children were reading early mm. and they were still learning black history and everything. And so, we, you know, a couple uh, people said we're going to try to. So the first real independent, like real African centered school was the Institute of African Learning. 
Mm-hmm. And it was down South Philly on Fernand Street, like right in the Point Breeze area. So my firstborn son, he went there. And then they mm-hmm. moved to North Philly. And one time they was housed in what was the Heritage House. So that was my first dive into independent schools was in the Institute of African Learning because I had my children in there. And as a parent, it was like a co-op. You didn't have to pay tuition if you, you know, you did put some time in at the school, you know, either teaching or cleaning or transporting children, you know. So it was very good, like Ujamaa and Ujima kind of thing, having this school. Um, and it was a small school. It couldn't have been no more than about seven or eight students. Okay. And I, yeah. We, yeah, but we outgrew the... it. We moved to North Philly had for more space and um, moved into the UNIA for a minute, the UNIA building. We were in the Heritage House, and then it wound up in its own three-story building on Cecil B. Moore, around 18th and Cecil B. Moore, okay. right across the street from the Panther headquarters, from the Black Panther headquarters. Growing, so, moving, and learning. I love yeah. that. And, Mom, I want to highlight, too, just so people, like, when I'm talking about mothers in the movement, um, you know, Mothers did a lot of mothering of the community, but you were a mother mother. You had your own kids um, oh, yeah. that were part of these schools um, and, and the movement as well. Oh, no. My children were in there, and I, some of my nieces and nephews were in there. I, I got them in there also. And I raised three community kids. They were neighbor's children. Mm-hmm. A neighbor lived in back of me, and uh, she, she she had, you know, unstable mental illness. But she would come and go, and she shut down for a couple months, and she get herself together. Mm-hmm. So she just had an, another bad breakdown one year, and I said, I'm going to let the kids. The kids were close to my children anyway. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to let them here till she get herself together. She never got herself together. Mm-hmm. But I refused to put the children in DHS. Mm-hmm. So when she did get herself together, I didn't want her to have to have to fight to get her children. So my husband and I, we kept we wound up being three, but when we first had them, it was five of them. Okay. But two of them didn't want to stay with us because they wasn't used to the structure. Because yes. their mom had been so, you know, mentally unstable that they mm-hmm. got away with a lot of stuff. Yep. But once the all five of them was with me and my husband, you got you know you got to do homework, you got to help clean, you got to do all yeah. this kind of stuff. So two of them, two of the older ones, couldn't handle it. So mm-hmm. the three youngest stayed stayed with us, and we never put them in DHS. We never put them in child welfare, mm-hmm. and they stayed with us till they were adults and went out on on, on their own. And uh, so, between the three I birthed and the other three I you know social children, I raised six six but children. What is such like it permeates throughout you and everything that you're talking about today is just the community aspect of what it was back then. How folks really took care of each other. Another major thing to really highlight in this is we're talking about black independent schools or we're talking about uh, the movements that happened back then. The community was all in, meaning the educators that were at their schools, their kids went there too. Everybody was from the neighborhood. Everybody was from Mm -hmm. the community. That just builds a different type of atmosphere, camaraderie, camaraderie, accountability um, in the movement when you have that. It definitely builds up. We're all in this together instead of having these people who are from outside. We knew it was a movement. And when you met somebody, the first thing you ask them, what group you belong to? Okay. (laughs) You ask what group you belong to, what church you belong to, because Mm. everybody was had to be in something, Mm. you know? So, you know, know, the church, you was in Nation of Islam, you was in the Panther Party, you was in this, but you had to be in something. Something. And if you said nothing, then you get the side eye and... and, (laughs) 
and you know telling you when the next meeting is that you can come to. Come on, you know me. that you know you know we'll give we give you a list of you know because we just think we couldn't accept that you wasn't had some level of involvement. So uh, that's how that's that's the difference in a movement. A movement is when you got enough that you got a critical capacity that we could hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so. Everybody was in something. The church were active then, you know, it was activist church. It wasn't just these mega prosperity ministries they do now, mm-hmm. you know, mega churches around prosperity. Uh, the churches were, were centers. They were centers of activism. They opened up during school strikes so the children can still be taught something, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we had conventions that come through the city. The churches would let people stay there and put uh, uh Blankets on the floor. The churches, and we radicals in the churches. We said, we've got a bunch of people coming in town, and we, they can't afford hotels. And they, they said, can they bring sleeping bags? We got sleeping bags. We got cots. Mm. And they sleep inside the church in the church gym or in the church kitchen or, you know. So the churches were supportive in different ways, and all the organizations were, were doing something. And that what, what makes it a movement. Right now, we don't have a movement. People say there's movement. But it's not under one umbrella. It's all these little separate silos happening. Yes, it's a lot of separate silos. How do you? So, what advice would you have for Black educators? How do we get back to that? How do we connect communities back to schools uh, in this current state of education? What you know, in teaching them first, you know, through say yes. And one of the things I used to fight with as a as an educator. And I was at University of Penn. They had this thing they would have you thinking that the school you're in, that you got to bend over backwards to bind with the school administrators and you got to do this. And I said, no, your first your first ally is the parents Mm -hmm. in the community. I said, everybody else are tourists in the lives of these children. (laughs) You know? I love tourists. that description. They are tourists. They're tourists. They're tourists mm-hmm. in the lives of children. One year they end and next year they go on and yeah. children move on. But their family and their community is there forever. So I said that, no, I said my primary resource and my primary ally is the parents in the community. That's so right. having that focus changes how you approach education. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is why we put so much emphasis on partnering with them. Even though we gave those children scholarships, we gave parents scholarships. Mm. So we made education for the whole family. We ain't pick one child out and say, you're going to get the scholarship and all your siblings ain't going to get nothing. Your parents not going to get nothing. That's the model that used to be out there before. We gave the whole family the scholarship. That's right. So nobody can feel left out and undermine the other. You know, everybody got equal access to support and educational resources and remediation. So if you see the parents and the family and the community as your first ally, your first responders in the lives of children, Mm-hmm. The the rest of the administrators, you know, and I was an administrator, you know, and I know, you know, just nine to five for them. It was never nine to five mm-hmm. for me, you know, weekends, evenings, whenever you need me. So in the field of social work, they used to tell me I was too enmeshed with my family. <laughs> too enmeshed. You can't, you can't too much, huh? I wow. care too much. And I said, yeah, but look at my outcomes <laughs> compared to yours. You know, I said, and, and I said, this never too much. You can never be too close to a child and too close to a family. You know, I said, that's why they asked you the first time you having problems. They asked you the first thing. They asked you, you got kids? You, you're not blessed. That's the first thing they're going to ask you. You got kids? They want to know, you know, you know, how can you relate so to what on? I'm doing? And so, so this whole thing about, and I used to tell them this enmeshment is going to get y'all hurt 
or y'all going to get low mm-hmm. outcomes. And that's a major thing in social work in any kind of uh, therapeutic community. You ain't supposed to bond and, and you're supposed to keep objectivity from your uh, 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 your client base. I want to be all in their life. They can come all up and they get we get messy together. <laughs> We problem solve. We, we problem solve it out. We share resources. We be mad and we make up. No, I like the yes. mess. Which which what you like, like is mess. community, right? Because it's the idea of That's community. It. Because That's the it. idea of community then creates trust. Because when you think about real life and how real life goes, how do you work with people, take advice from people, or or even like you said, bond with people that you don't know? How can I trust you? How do no. I even know you have my self interests, right? And it's an interest to it, yours. So you want the best for me. How can any of that happen without a bond? Um, how can any of that happen without trusting? And we all know because we, you, you've mar- you're married, I'm married. You don't can't really trust somebody unless you go through something, child. We got to be able to go through That's something right. together. You gotta have some mess. You gotta yes. have some mess. And you know, but the teachers just want to sit in the teachers' lounge and talk about the children, and but the parents ain't coming in for the home and school meet. I said, they ain't had to come in. I go to their house, you know. So I was known for doing home visits. You know, I ain't got no problem. I do home visits. You know, they did. You know, I go see them on the, what time? Whatever time you say you could be there, I'd be there. You know, you can't come in because you're working three or four jobs. I understand yes. that. Yes. You know, so I just know how the community was there for mm-hmm. me and for mm-hmm. my dad. And uh, so I, I, I want to be in the kind of community that was there for me. That's the one I want to build. That's the kind of one I want to sustain because that's what helped me to get over. And I remember one year I got some a student and they, the teachers was complaining. The student was so smelly. The whole it was a little sibling grouping. And I was teaching at Elverson then at 12th and Spring, um, Susquehanna. And so, you know, at the end of the year in the teacher's lounge, everybody going to tell you, I'm not going to send you so-and-so because you don't want that child. I used to stop going in the teacher's lounge at the end of the mm. school year because I want to meet children on my own terms, not what kind you of relationship do. you had yes. with them. I want I want my own relationships. I don't want to hear you labeling anything. So I get this one child and she coming in every day and she's smelly. I had her come in earlier and washing her up and putting a little oil on and getting her hair together so the children won't tease her the rest mm-hmm. of the day. And I'm bringing in stuff so you can help her keep her personal hygiene. And I just decided to go past the house because it was a whole little group of us, her and she had, it was about three other siblings. So then I'm taking care of all three of them in the morning now so they don't get teased in the rest mm-hmm. of the school. So I decided to go over the house. The mom was a quadriplegic. Okay. So she couldn't move. Nobody at the that. school knew. Nobody cared enough to, to Nobody investigate. Nobody had this at the school knew that they had a quadriplegic mom. Mm. And she holding at these children, they children taking care of each other. The oldest one, they parentified. They helping the younger ones. But this only can do but mm-hmm. so much, you know? And so so here I call Miss Mamie again. <laughs> Let her, let her know what's going on. She tells me what's out there, what, what kind of support can come to place. Somebody can come in the house and clean. And so she's letting me know all this kind of stuff. And the whole children's lives change mm-hmm. because I did a home visit. And those, these children have been in that school for years because they had older siblings than this one child was in mm-hmm. my classroom. But nobody ever bothered to go find what's out why these on? children were dirty and smelly every day. And this is when they had school social workers, school nurses. This is when the schools had some resources. And no one knew that this was the thing that was going on with those children. And just putting those some level of services in there 
the whole the whole trajectory of those children changed. Just, it just sounds like over time there just had been a breach in what we would call community amongst folks yes. um, in the education setting. And I think, you know, you, you hinted towards this, but a lot had to do with uh, allowing more tourists <laughs> into the lives yeah. of children, allowing That's people it. to be out on tour um, with our kids mm-hmm. um, instead of, you know, people who are going to be permanent fixtures in their lives, um, in their community, in their development um, that are going to help and support mm-hmm. our children. But one of the things you made me th- you make me think about is, how we how can we do a better job at organizing parents to demand better for their children um, in education right now? Mm-hmm. Um, you've done tons of parent organizing, so I would love for you to speak to that. How can we get our parents organized to demand better education for our children? Well, you, you first you, one of the things we did is say yes is uh, we brought them in for fun things first. A lot of times we bring parents in is not for fun mm-hmm. things, so you relationships are key. You have to build relationships that's not always around a crisis, and because if you've got a stronger relationship, it's, it'll, it'll withstand the crisis that comes up. Because crisis is going to come, it's just life. So we did a lot of fun stuff to bind. We did binding, fun things with the parents, with the kids, and so you know, this exposing the things they wouldn't have. We bring somebody in just to show them how to do facials and feet. Mm-hmm. So you know, not asking them for anything, just to come and enjoy mm-hmm. yourself. And plan weekend things and just slowly start to to infuse in more kind of stuff. You know, if you could change something about the school and the the parents, we had the best parent volunteers. Half the parents never went to parent meetings for the Mm -hmm. school, but our parent meetings be loaded. The school home and school association was jealous of us. (laughs) We had to get them our attendance. We had to get them our attendance to show parents do come Mm. to the school. You know? But we just took the time to let them know we appreciate and that we saw them as our first ally, the first responders of these children, and asked them if we gave and gave them a little budget, what would you change in this in the in the school if you had a thousand dollars? Because they know what's going on. The kids come back and say, we ain't got this. We don't have that. The teachers don't. So the parents know. So we empowered them to know they could make a difference. They had control over some resources. The ones we got the volunteer in the classroom, who be teacher's Mm. assistants, gave them a little stipend to do that so they can actually see. So they can't always, they say, that ain't as easy as we thought it was. And then they come back and tell the other parents, your child is a handful, <laughs> you know? So, so, but they will believe it from a mm-hmm. peers, right? So the more parents we could get in there, they impacted the larger community. So Say Yes was a small cohort students. of students, but we had what we call the Say Yes Friendlies. I love that. Who quadrupled mm-hmm. the amount. And we treated them just like they got the full scholarship from us. And their parents could count on us. Even though they didn't get the scholarship, we made sure if we had a say yes child in the classroom, we supplied the whole classroom, not just our say yes child. You know, so after a while, the teachers wanted our kids because they came with resources. But we just made sure that sometimes the parents would come back and say, that teacher don't have, that teacher not doing. The the parents became our eyes and ears at Mm. the school. They became resources themselves for the teachers because the teachers could appreciate having someone in the room mm-hmm. to help them a couple hours a day. The parents would come in, and we had a parent room there for them for a while till the school uh, uh, took the room from us because they started expanding the grades. But the parents was there, and they knew that to say yes, parents, they could count on them, and that we did. Then we started, you know, we when they switched over to the new math, 
We brought people in to teach the parents the new math so they could help the children at homework yep. time. So you bring in something the teachers can't even teach it right, and then you wonder why the parents can't help. So we brought in math specialists to teach the parents the new math. You know, so because every parent wants to help their child. So whatever we found out that they was couldn't, whatever was interfering with them being there for their children, that's, that's where we put the resources in. And that benefited the children. You know, everybody said, well, just pump the money into the children. No, pump the, the money into the parents. The children are going to I benefit. That's right. And, and again, and everything you, you know? talk about, it's about relationships, relationships, relationships. Yeah. So when we're talking about organizing parents, I think some, sometimes people look for these very technical answers to happen. But at the... Yeah. At the root of what you're saying is you got to have a relationship and you can't you you can't go in asking people to do stuff and you're not willing to give and pour Mm -hmm. into people. I think a lot of organizations are about uh, tokenism, right? Like you want people and parents to advocate for you, but you don't want to do anything for them at all. Well, you know, there's. We always said there's a qualitative difference in in organizations and institutions being in the community or being of the Mm. community. It's a qualitative difference. Something's in, it's just a location. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there. This holding up is just, a, you know, got a footprint. But if you of it, it's entirely yeah. different. But most of them, they tell you, I'm in the community. Yes, you are. Yeah. Your program you know? is in the community. Your building is in the community. But are you, are in the you community, of the community? Of the community. It's a qualitative difference. And that's the hard part. The schools are in the community. But they are not of the community. They are not of in the service community. to the community, which then... They're not in service of the community. They're not in partnership community. with the community. They're not. They're just in it. They're just a, they're just a bricks yep. and mortar. And I think this sometimes with community. schools, right, there's this argument of, like, the schools are expected to do everything. But you're not, actually. Um, there are plenty no. of resources, plenty of organizations that will partner with you to wrap your arms around children and to wrap your arms around mm-hmm. families. Um, but I think that sometimes at the pain point of what teachers are saying, like, I'm expected to be everything. No, the problem is your institution doesn't allow the necessary resources. So you don't have to be everything. Mm-hmm. So all you do have to worry about is, is, is teaching. And I think that that becomes a struggle. And give parents a real role in the school, not just to sell cookies and, and fundraise and sell popcorn. <laughs> you know, so so you know, so they give them a very limited access and very limited mm-hmm. role. You know, raise mm-hmm. money. You know, don't come here questioning the principal. <laughs> don't come here questioning. You know, don't come with all that. Raise some money with your home and school association <laughs> and sponsor a, a, a Christmas party, and the kids can get some gifts. <laughs> You know, real, you know, real, sur- you know, this, it's not, it's not deep. deep. It's very surface stuff. You know, so they, so they, so they selling pretzels, or they selling this, or they doing, you know, having whatever little stuff, but they don't want them at the decision making nope. level. They don't want them there where the rate, where's the resources going, allocations and policy making. So that, so they, they keep them a distance. Why? Because they're in the community and not of it. Because if they were of it, they would know that that's their first resource for those children. They're their children's first responder. And how resource-rich those parents yes. are. You know, they may not have what, you know, be looking flashy and all that. But you ask a parent, I will t- ask a parent in a minute, you know, we this, you know, this kid needs some stuff. Who's doing it and where we, where we can get it from in the community? Who, who handling this in your community? Who, who we go to? Because they know who, who's, who, in, the who's in the community. In it. And, and so you, I said, well, you know, this this kid need more better uniforms. They got little raggedy sneakers. Who's handled that in your community? 
They'll they tell know. you. They do They'll know. tell you. And anything know. that's like of the community, we know that black children thrive. And for me, any yes. significant, especially education movement where parents and community are, are at the home of that and at the center of that, black children are going to thrive. Um, and it, it's it's been yes. proven. But again, we question why is education in a state it is right now? Do we have parents at the home? Do we have community at the home? Uh, we, we don't. Because education is coming from a Eurocentric paradigm. Well, tourists, right? You said it. <laughs> the tourists. The tour- and you know how tourists, they just want to go through. You go know, through, it's like visiting take, something. Take all just- the resources, right? Right. We come in to buy. We come in to get. Ooh, this looks cool. Can I try this on? Ooh, I want to ride that ride. You know, sightsee. And go back home and talk about, you know, the talk about the experience see. over there. Yes, or in the research lab, right? Make money off it. In the research Child, lab. You That's said, it. That when you said it. that, you said a word. Tourists. Tourists are at, at the, at the Tourist. home of, of what's going on right now in education. And Eurocentric tourists, you know, the ones that they want a camera and they just want to see you at your worst. And the, and the, 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 the more exotic the experience, the better, the better they like it. So. You know, because we got more to talk about in the research lab or over there. And we're not interested in this experience changing because this is a thrill for us. I mean, it's a thrill in terms of sight experience. It's a thrill in in terms of dollars. Uh, We can make money Mm -hmm. um, off of this experience and the the degradation. It's like rap. It's why whites are so attracted to rap mm. music. Vicariously, they can live on the rough side. You know, a couple years later, they run an industry. Yes. You know, after they done hung out. I done toured you know, tour this lifestyle. You know, I'm going to be at this concert, concert saying nigga and acting wild because I feel a kind of way. You know, it invokes my spirit for these two hours. But I'm going to go right on back to the li- to this, <laughs> to this the real life that I'm living, that I'm not taking a tour on. And run, and run, da- and run daddy's <laughs> yes. business. It run, run mama's business that you done inherited or whatever you're going into. So my little tourism yep, is over. Yeah, continue to you rap know? about a little like the gap. I call it, I call it, I call it the, go, the adult gap years. <laughs> they get to do what they want before they find their real life. Yep. <laughs> rap music is part they of their gap years. I was <laughs> out here selling drugs and disrespecting women, right? Yeah. Like, but in your mind, like this is what's happening. Um, but it's not. It's not a reality. So that's a, a excellent point about this fantasy living, um, that folks are able to do yeah. at the expense of black mm-hmm. people, and that education is happening mm-hmm. at the expense of black children. Yes. Um, and yeah. it's a shame. And you can and you can see it. And they set up these programs where they make them tourists, even if they want to be. You know, because they say they say they can take anybody and turn them into a teacher. You know, these programs are, uh, the, that's out here, they can turn you into no matter what the discipline is. You ain't had really no enough training, not, no pedagogy, pedagogy no, no content expertise, none of it. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so they put they put them in there and their commitment and and they wash out within a year. So it's all these tourists. They just import more tourists into the Pumping. kids through these Pumping. programs uh, that's that are out here now. And I'm like, how do you get to be a teacher with no real life ex- real lived experience and they just gonna say they can train you in one you year say, well mama mama you said you one year some of these programs train people in 10 weeks and put them in front of people kids no that, that bad? bad oh i thought it was some at least a year two years training for 10 weeks put you in front of people's kids you say two years because you're in a program and they're going to check up on you have a couple workshops throughout two yeah. years but in terms of real intense training on a pedagogy it's like a 10 weeks and then throughout throughout oh, the two no. years, you get a couple workshops, some support here and there. Um, but they put you in front of people, kids. 
after that that's that's why it's, <gasps> that's why it is the way it is why it's spinning that's why it's a revolving door that's why people it like is. it's a tourism it's a tourism yeah, it factory is. it's a tourism yes, industry to, you know and they get wiped out and they go back to whatever that profession it was they would go on to the, the next profession place. because some of these folks who are in some of these programs if if that program is on your resume or you get catapulted into so many other different opportunities and so many other different positions wow. because of the opportunity that you that you, this fellowship or this residency or whatever that you were in for two years or you were there. Oh, boom. Uh-huh. Now here you are sitting somewhere talking about social policy and practice because you was here. Yeah. So now you're an expert because you're in an urban school for two years. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this is these are the things that that are going on. Um, and this is why you can feel um, the absence of schools like black independent schools. This is why you can feel the absence of okay. communities. This is why you can feel the absence mm-hmm. of, of parents yeah. um, uh, um, leading. But I just would, yeah. I just would love for us to really hunker down and bring back the notion of, of, of black independent schools and bring that movement back and what it means to have community um, in our schools mm-hmm. and education um, because our children are suffering. Well, you, it's a, you know, it's it's all about the will of the people mm-hmm. to do it, you know. You put the call out, you'd be surprised who would answer. Oh, I, if the call is out and there's some resources to, to to make it help and make it happen, even though we did it before no with no resources, My. we was we was just idealistic. <laughs> we just out of pocket or whatever, whatever, whatever else we could get somebody to give us who worked somewhere that had resources. Because you know we had people giving us books, people who were teaching mm-hmm. in the regular schools. They give us books and give us paper, give us pen. You know we ain't had no money. Yes. You know it's strictly out of out of pocket and just out of love. But, you know, you put the call out there, people people are interested because people know what's happening. It's just not serving us well. It's not doing our children well. And the few examples where you see some movement where the children and there's some community building, you just know it's just the isolated. It's, 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 not, it's not being replicated, right? right? It's, not, it's not being taken to scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a lot. It's, a, it's lot. A, it's a it's a lot of investment, not just resource investment, but human human capital, you know, human capital right. to, um, to do that. To, uh, build these things. Could you see like Sankofa, yes. Sankofa Freedom and, um, Academy? Shout and, out to and, Mama. And, and Hotep. Yep. Yeah, Sankofa and Hotep. Those two schools I know, and in Hotep, the bonding that takes place there between the black males mm-hmm. is remarkable. You know, they put a lot of black males. That's why I appreciate, you know, how much time Sharifina put in, in recruiting black male teachers. Because I see the importance of what having those black males at Imhotep means to these black males coming in that school. And them brothers will go jack a brother up off a corner if they hear they yeah. out. You know, so that this is, they this stuff, and, and you know they're the same way over yeah. Sankofa. You know, Issa and them will track you down like you got a GPS <laughs> yes. in you. If they... You know, if they think you got something else going on, they're going to come off that campus. And come and get you. And get you. So, but they're not independent schools, but they got, they, you know. They have they, the community they, they aspect. Got, they got, a little they got that community aspect down. They and this community, community aspect. And they got the resources. It's African-centered. They have, it's student-centered. So they do have, they definitely yeah. have those aspects. Yeah. Um, happening, and they have, the, and they're, and they're not begging for money like we were. They, they got the resources. resources that come from our tax dollars, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's supposed to be there, and they just use it very, use it well. Make sure it's, each dollar, to, the large percentage of it is going for how it impacts the and student itself. The you know, and so, so that, so, so, but for independence, but they still got, they still under the control of the system, yeah. no, right? They still got to use the, the state tests. 
they still got to fall under this requirement, you know. So how independent, you know, can you be working under that kind of, kind of system that can still tell you you got to use the common core? You can still tell you got to give them the, the, those uh, test them, the testing and uh, every year for the state test, yes. you know, all that. You not you know, if Dr. Mama had her druthers, she wouldn't do she none wouldn't. of that stuff. She wouldn't. <laughs> and, and, but I want to make something clear. She wouldn't. But people think that when we're saying we, that we wouldn't, that means like, oh, black people ain't down with assessment and testing. That's not what we're saying. No. She would have her own. No, the right yes, instrument. she would have her the own. Right she would instrument. build her own. She probably have her own. She probably do do, do her own. Yeah. But she would have what's right for her yeah. children and her community um, to show, right. you know. Right. Definitely, where where they thought an instrument that, that measures our our children and our culture That's and our right. progress. That's but you know, but she's you know, she's un, she's un, she's un, yeah. So so that's a part about the independent schools. You it's like the private schools. They don't put their children sure through all don't. that stuff. You know, they don't put their children through that testing and drill, drill and kill, and all you know all that stuff. kind of stuff like that. They not. And, and, and they still getting arts. They still getting enrichment. All types of art, enrichment. All that stuff freedom, dried up. All types yeah, of stuff. No again. enrichment left in the schools. Left no enrichment. And you know, for someone who's a creative know, person like you me, went to arts, mama. I would have had a fit that if I didn't have any art or enrichment. Yes. You know, it's it's unbelievable. It I always wanted to be an art teacher. Mama, you would have been a phenomenal best. art teacher. You know, that's what you do. I, I haven't okay. given up on it say, yet. You know, you are into those crafts. But I never could get. Uh, yeah, I never could get. To the art teachers, because uh, when I was subbing or trying to get placement, art teachers don't never leave, nope. right? You know, they don't never need a sub because the teachers, the students yep. love them. They don't get worn down like the and other teachers. You know, know that's the their students passion. Love you know, like that is what they're doing. That's it. Uh, they're, they're in that's that it. But I never could get a, I could never get an art. And that was my, I was a, my minor was okay. art ed. I just wanted to teach art. You Mama, know, you still got time, okay? There's still time. I, I've been giving there's up. Still time. I've been giving up. But Mama, we are actually coming up on time. So there's two uh, more things okay. I want to do uh, before we uh, get off of here. Is one, I would love sure. for you uh, just in this moment to really talk to our current generation of freedom fighters um, and liberators that are in our school community. Just share a message um, with them. What message do you have for our current freedom fighters and liberators in our, in our education community? Mm-hmm. Um, first, that you are not by yourself. You know, don't, don't never think that you are so unique that you're the only one feeling this way. You're the only one can make a difference. Your job is to find someone else that's similar to you. You got to hook up. Don't be out there fighting all by yourself. That's how you get burned out and you get dispirited. Create community. If it's just one more person, you know, for the support, for the accountability, but don't be a solo out there trying to make a difference. And even though you're in a hostile environment and everybody around, you'd be surprised if somebody in that building, even if it's the janitor or the cafeteria person, that feels the same way you do. Mm. Yeah. And what's what's change? Your job, you gotta find them. You gotta be a prospector mining in your area, believing that those jewels and gems is there. They're in that building or they right up the street from the building at the corner store or the laundry mat or somewhere. But don't think you 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 know you don't think too much of yourself that you're the only one feeling mm-hmm. that way. And thinking you're the only one can make a difference. Connect with others. That's the African way. We connect. We're relational. We're relational. And the more you do things outside of that circle of others, 
then you become more vulnerable. You don't have no checks and balances. You ain't got nobody to be accountability. Mm-hmm. You ain't got no one to mirror you to reflect on. It's not healthy for you or for the children you're working with. Because you're trying to teach the children to work together, but you're not an example mm-hmm. of it. Great point, Mama. Build a coalition. Build a community, y'all. Go out there yes. and build a co- And then the last thing. Build it in your classroom first. Have your children a build community. a community in their classroom. And you be an example right? of that. Have the children build a community. Yeah, let them be your allies. Let your students be your allies, right? So build. You got to build relationships no matter where you're at. And if you're not, you're just working outside of your culture, and that's why you ain't getting too much success. Mm-hmm. You're not. We're relational. By We're nature, relational right. people. And, Mama, the last thing we invite guests to do um, on our show is to thank a black teacher. So I know you talked a lot about Ms. Mamie. Um um, definitely mm-hmm. through this. But if there are any other black teachers um, that you would like to thank, past or present, definitely give you the floor to do that right now. Hmm. Well, definitely Malele is an yes. educator. But I'm thinking, yeah, my 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 cousin, she was like my sister cousin, uh, Inez Jackson. She passed a few years ago. She was an educator, an award-winning, an award-winning educator. And uh, in the lower grades, she had K through two. That was her grades. And won awards all over the city, teacher of the year and all that. She had retired, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to say yes, and I got these children in these lower grades, and they just not, and there's no program at there that's helping my children to learn at the school. She came out of retirement and worked with my children. Wow. Right? And she took them back to the basics, back to phonics, writing, mm-hmm. Just in a short and the love, and she did home visits. She would she would leave at this is after school. She leave after she in the after school program. After the after school program, she's still going to their house. She's still going to their house. So so she was an example of me of this this educators right. And this came out of her retirement. You know maybe I was crying and begging her that my children ain't learning. Anybody teaching her at this school? But she came. And um, so I just want to encourage people who might be watching now thinking about retire. You never retire if you're an educator. Always continue to find ways to, to teach. Don't isolate yourself. Even if you just got to teach something fun in the Bible studies or church studies or somebody, a niece or a nephew, continue to engage children because they keep you, they keep you, they keep you, real. keep you real. They keep you honest, right? And, and and it'll keep you current, you know. We work with these children, and they just need it because you be you be surprised. Uh, you might be the lifeline for them, and and you don't want to also be a tourist in their life. Don't make the commitment unless you can. You're in there for the long haul, you know. Don't say I'm gonna make a three month commitment, you know. If you're gonna do that, let the children know that straight up, you know. Um, but try and be in people's lives for the long haul, you know, and um. Just be as authentic as you can and just build relationships. If you don't do nothing but go eat popcorn together or ice cream, you, it ain't got to be that deep that you're teaching. Mm-hmm. You teach by example that you care. Yes. You know, just take someone out and go get some popcorn and go throw rocks in the water. You know, just it, it just any level of engagement elevates the child. Right. Elevates humanity. It can be a friend that is feeling isolated and alienated, but always reach out and try to connect to others. 
You know, Mama, and, you uh, said it. That's what I want to leave people. Don't be, don't be an individualist. That's not it's us. Not that's us. Not Mama, us. you said a word today. Well, I want to thank my mama, Maisha, for coming on today to Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast, y'all. Remember, please subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify, Amazon. Tell a friend to tell a friend and then tell them again. Uh, we will see y'all back in about a week for another wonderful episode of Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast. We out y'all. Peace.